So good evening, good afternoon, good morning, depending on where you're dialing in from. To go a little bit deeper um, this evening, where I am at least, and following this thread of fluidity that I had introduced uh, earlier in the day. And I really want to focus on explaining why the felt sense of fluidity is so important to deeply understanding the spectrum of awareness. And my intention for this talk, you know, to the best of my abilities, is to really inspire you and convey a sense of wonder and awe about awareness itself through this entry point of fluidity. And in order to invite you into this as an experience, as a felt sense experience, instead of just some concept that you listen to and say, well, that that was interesting, I'm going to ask something of you. I'm going to ask that you tap into your inner fish. Because as Wes Nisker, who is another insight teacher, likes to remind everyone, if you go back far enough in your family tree, to your great, 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 great ancestor, you'll see a family portrait of a fish. So I want you to really tap into this. And the invitation is to not just listen to the talk, but rather let yourself swim into it. So it's almost like you're, you know, you're the fish in the water. And it's the actual experience of the wetness of the water, the fluidity of the water, the support of the water, just like the fish in the aquarium that Diana had us uh, meditate with yesterday. It's that sense that I'm pointing to and that everything I'm sharing are just pointers to this felt sense experience. What is it like to be in water? What is it like to have this fluidity? So one final note uh, before I begin, Um, the talk that I'm about to give is really inspired by and and dedicated to two people in my life. The first is uh, my four-year-old daughter, Leela, who is a self-identified water baby, which means that if there's a body of water, she's in it and she doesn't want to leave it. She's constantly playing and drawn to water. And the other person that this Uh, talk is really inspired by and dedicated to is uh, my father. And so he's now 73. He'll be actually turning 74 in just a few days. And he really deeply taught me about the mind through his own lifelong journey of uh, grappling and struggling with major mental illness. So I just sort of want to share the context uh, from my own inspiration for what I'll be sharing. So with that, let's actually get into the water. And let's begin the swim uh, for today with a teaching story. And so this is a teaching story from the writer, David Foster Wallace. Some of you have probably heard this before, but here's how it goes. There are these two young fish swimming along, and they happen to meet an older fish swimming the other way, who nods at them and says, morning, friends, how's the water? And the two young fish swim on for a bit, And then eventually one of them looks over at the other and goes, what the heck is water? So this is the experience, right? We're in the midst of the mystery of our life unfolding. And we all of a sudden, it's like, well, 
what what is it? What is this experience that we're all in? What's this mystery? And I'll I'll just add a little caveat here because David Foster Waller, uh, or David Foster Foster Wallace adds a little important addendum to that story, which is that uh, if you're worried that I plan to present myself here as the wise older fish explaining what water is to you younger fish, please don't be. I'm not the wise old fish. Uh, the point of the fish story is merely that the most obvious important realities are often the ones that are the hardest to see and talk about. So I'm just a fellow fish traveler in uh, David Foster Wallace's uh, words. So my own practice is to constantly remind myself to feel, to sense, to pay attention to water. What is this experience? What does it mean to be swimming in the midst of the flow of life? So how does this relate to what we've been doing for these first two days? Well, there's a lot of connection. The first is uh, that you've heard again and again in the teaching instructions, all in different ways, uh, these pointings or these repeated pointings to the felt sense of experience. So it's not the ideas about the experience, but it's the direct moment-to-moment knowing of the experience. And I often like to use um, sort of everyday objects or metaphors. So I'll use this one. It's, uh, if you think about our body as a cup, um, it, it is, it's like a kind of container, but it's a very important container because outside of retreat, our mind, and if I'm, if I'm in this uh, description, equating the mind to, or awareness, if you want to use that word, uh, to water, it's almost like the water is in a gaseous phase. It's so diffuse. It, there's so much that's happening that we're not actually inhabiting our body. It's as though the water is vapor and it's all around. And so the cup is fairly empty. And so this is that example of, you know, we're moving so fast, we're overscheduled, we've got so many commitments, we've got this endless to-do list running through our mind. And then you come on retreat. And when you come on retreat, it's as though you're going from 60 or 120 miles an hour down to two. And that's a kind of phase shift. And so what it's like is it's though each time you're taking a little drop of water and you're putting it into the cup. So if I were to actually, you know, take a little bit of water out of this other glass I have, every single time that we're practicing, every single time that you're doing focused awareness or you're doing this investigative awareness, you're putting a drop back into that cup and each drop starts to fill up that container. So this is this embodied awareness, right? And so then pretty quickly, the drops add up moment by moment, you have the felt sense of being more embodied. And pretty quickly, we come to this um, full cup of this sort of sparkling, clear water. This is described in many ways in different traditions, but it's from this base of sort of embodied awareness of the mind and the body in the same location here and now, and that sensitivity and that ability to actually feel the experience that we start to then really get to understand what's happening. We actually drop below the story and the narrative and we start to connect with how it really is, or, you know, at least uh, guesses at how it really is. We're getting closer and closer. So I'll bring in Kabir here. So this is Kabir, the 15th century mystic poet. Um, 
this one of my mentors and teachers used to always share this with me. So I'll share you, share this poem inside this clay jug. There are canyons and pine mountains and the maker of canyons and pine mountains. All seven oceans are inside and hundreds of millions of stars. The acid that tests gold is here and the one who judges jewels and the music from the strings no one touches and the source of all water. That clay jug is our body. It's when the sparkling, clear, refreshing, cool awareness is contained in the clay jug of our body that we start to really know life. And there's several benefits that we can directly know when we start to really uh, inhabit this sort of uh, embodied awareness. The first benefit is that we actually can start to more clearly detect the felt sense of experience. Because if we're living kind of hovering above life, then we're just in the story, we're in the ideas, we're in our own storytelling mode. We're not actually in contact with the felt sense of experience. You know, so uh, an analogy I could give you, again, if I'm using this glass of water, I can actually feel the warmth or the coolness of the water when my hand is against the glass container, right? I can actually sense that. So I, I don't have to think, oh, okay, hot, cold. I know it because I'm in contact with it and I can sense it directly. So this is the first benefit of this embodied awareness. The second benefit is that we start to know, we can start to see the contrast. We start to see when we are embodied and when we're not. And we start to detect this movement, this shifting nature of, oh, there's sensitivity in this moment. And then all of a sudden I found myself reading a book. How did that happen? Like, whoop, it's like we just disappeared. And then there's another moment where we kind of wake back up and we go, oh yes, here, now, this moment, right here in this body. So these are the benefits. It's that ability to really detect the felt sense of experience, to know it. We don't have to mediate it through thought. We don't have to mediate it through all the different emotional um, uh, stories that we may have created. We actually can know it directly. We can drop into it. And then it gives us a reference point. So we can see that contrast between when we're embodied, we're knowing. It's very kind of uh, receiving experience. And then when we're not that, when we're really tight, constricted, we're lost, we're spinning in our thoughts, we're spinning in the emotions. And that contrast, we start to learn and noticing that, that uh, stark contrast. So this is where I'll turn to my second teaching story. And this is again, sort of in the realm of we're swimming together, right? So all of everything I'm sharing is, is really meant to take us into this felt sense experience. So the second teaching story I'll share, you'll notice there's a common theme here. It's fish and water. So this is actually a child's uh, story. It's a children's story by Alan Watts. So this is the only child story that he, uh, children's story, I keep saying child, children's story he wrote uh, as a teaching story, and it's called The Fish Who Found the Sea. So I'm just going to read a small excerpt from this. Um, my daughter knows this well because I've read it to her many times, but there's certain key points in this. And I just want you to see as you listen to this story, can you relate? Can you relate to the fish in this story? 
So the story goes, there was a fish that found itself swimming in the sea. Then one day, something peculiar happened to this fish. They began to think how curious it was that they could swim. For here they were moving up and down and around in the midst of nothing at all, and all by their own power. This, they thought, was surely very clever. And then something else happened. You know how it is when you start thinking about something. Specifically, when you start thinking about something you do automatically, such as breathing or riding a bike, you begin to get confused. It was the same with this fish. They began to get confused in the swimming. Looking down into the waters below them, they suddenly felt terrified at the thought that they might forget how to swim altogether and go plunging forever into the abyss. At that moment, all the skill of swimming left the fish and they began to fall. They realized that there was just one chance of saving themselves to grab hold of their own tail with their mouth and hold themselves up. At once, they curled up and made a snap at their tail. Unfortunately, their spine was not quite supple supple enough, and they missed. Not yet discouraged, they tried again and again and again with the same result, so that for some time, they were whizzing around in circles in frantic pursuit of their own end. So there's the image. Yeah. Have we had that experience? Chasing our own tail, getting caught up in experience, right? And again, it's not to make light of this experience. It's that it's so serious, we can't take it seriously. I mean, the, the consequences of this are so huge. Thoughts, emotions, the power, you know, a thought itself is just a, it's just a whiff of energy. And yet that little whiff of energy has tremendous power. It has power in what we believe, how we act, what we organize our entire lives around. So the Buddha knew this. The Buddha knew that the mind can be affected by all sorts of temporary visitors. It's like that sparkling awareness of the cup. Something gets added. It's not actually part of the sparkling awareness, but there's a a visitor that comes. And the Buddha referred to these visitors as hindrances, and that these were um, these temporary visitors that actually impeded the proper functioning of our mind, and they prevented us from realizing the truth of how it really is. Just like that fish in the story I was just reading, right? Chasing our own tail. We forget, oh, you know, swimming, it's so natural. How can a fish forget to swim? And yet we do. And these hindrances, when they're present, they actually limit our choice they cause us to act in more reactive ways. Interestingly enough, you'll see again the common thread as we're swimming in this area, is that the Buddha described the effects of these hindrances using the metaphor of a bowl of water. So again, notice this sense of water fluidity, right? So these are the similes. The similes go like this. The first one is to, you know, you're kind of imagining that you're trying to see the reflection of your face in a bowl of water. And in this first simile, you notice that if your mind is filled with wanting, you know, it might be wanting to like get these teachings, like what are these teachings, what are these teachers pointing at? What are they trying to get at? You know, I just want to get it. I want to understand it. Maybe, you know, your mind is really, oh, I just, I really want something sweet or salty. I just, I have this craving to, to you know, just have something that I, I really, I need it. 
Or maybe it's, you know, you don't like the sounds that are in your environment at home right now. You go, you know, this, this home retreat's not so great. There's all these sounds going off. I hear alarms, you know, my computer, there's neighbors outside are being loud, or maybe the person in the apartment above me is making all kinds of noise. And so we think, well, I got to get better sounds. And so we have this wanting in our mind where we're wanting things. We're wanting something. We want pleasant sounds. We want the peace, the quiet of being, you know, on the land at uh, Spirit Rock or wherever, wherever your favorite place is. And so the Buddha described this as a, the mind or this bowl, the mind as the kind of water in the bowl. It's as though it's being mixed with dye, like coloring. So it's like you put in a drop of coloring and all of a sudden phew, it just suffuses the water. And what happens is that then we actually get enchanted by that coloring of the water. It's almost like if you imagine the fish seeing the play of the light and all those things, it's like we swim towards it. We get really enchanted and we follow it. And usually not with good results because we don't have so much mindfulness. We're actually chasing after this experience. And there's not so much wisdom in chasing after it. It's just like chasing our own tail. Now, it's totally normal. It's going to happen. We're going to get caught. We're going to chase things. And I'll give you my own example just to make this very ordinary. I spent so much time on retreats, uh, particularly in my early years, where I wouldn't notice this strong wanting in my mind uh, every time lunchtime came around. And I really, you know, I would just kind of get in the lunch line. I would show up and then I would take way too much food. Because I was misperceiving that, you know, what I needed, it was being completely filtered through this. Oh, that looks great. Oh, I want that. Oh, I want that. I want that. I want that. And it's a simple example, right? And again, I don't want to make light of this example because, you know, there's so much conditioning around food and there's so much that, um, you know, familial, societal, personally. But I want to point it out because for me, what it, it, what it was is it was this example of where I wasn't actually checking in. What was the felt sense of experience for my body? What was my body telling me? How much did I actually need for nourishment versus my own desire, my own wanting for pleasant food? And what would inevitably happen is that I would not be totally mindful and I would kind of, you know, chase after that, the, the dye in the water, right? The pleasant food. And I would eat too much and I would get sleepy or I'd have a stomach ache. And I would just watch this again and again and again as it would play out. And then at some point I went, aha, I know what to do here. I have to actually pay attention. I got to get really curious. What's going on here? So that's the first one. The first one is this sense of we kind of get into this experience of wanting something. And it hinders us from actually seeing what's actually here, what's going on. So here's the second uh, kind of simile or the second image, if you will, uh, within the simile. Imagine the same bowl of water, but this time your mind is filled with not wanting. And the Buddha described this as though it's a bowl of water that's bubbling, it's boiling. And the boiling water doesn't allow us to see a clear reflection, right? So again, if I were to look into a bowl of water to try to see my own reflection, if it's bubbling and a kind of boiling, I can't clearly see my own reflection. And so this is, again, the very felt sense, visceral feeling of that heat of the mind. It's that heat of that state of the mind when we don't want something. It's like the bubbles from the boiling water. And again, to make this very ordinary, right, we can have this experience in our meditation practice, right? You may be, as you're practicing at home, again, it doesn't have to be a big thing. I mean, it, there are times when the mind is really uh, boiling, it's really bubbling. 
And then there's just the sort of everyday kind of annoyances, those little everyday agitations. So you may notice that you're practicing at home and you feel too hot. And then you just sort of can watch. It's like, oh, I'm so hot. I don't, I can't stand this. I got, I got to go open a window and you go and you open a window or I got to go, you know, turn the air on so I can get some cool air in here or oh, the sun's coming in. And I just feel like I'm getting totally, you know, too hot. I got to go pull down a shade. And so what happens is we start to just react. We react out of that not liking experience, that friction of rubbing up against something that's not what it's not our preference. We wouldn't choose this. And so we just react. There's no presence of mind there. We're not aware in the moment. And so that reaction then leads us into action, to movement, to do all kinds of things. And, you know, I would um, say that right now there's so much reaction that we can see, right, in, in the wider world. And so we want to get really curious about what's going on here. What is it when we have these experiences? What's it like to, to have a mind, to have a heart? that doesn't want something to be happening. And how can we work with that with a lot of compassion, with a lot of patience? So that's the, the sort of the second hindrance within the simile. The, the third one is you take that same bowl of water, but this time the mind is filled with restlessness and worry, or you can think of it as like a kind of anxiety, a frenetic anxiety. It's as though this bowl of water were being stirred up by gusts of wind. It was literally whipping the surface of the water, just whipping the water, you know, creating these waves. And so it's that felt sense of literally being tossed around. We're being tossed from here to there. And we, we feel like there's no sense of groundedness. We can feel this sense of uneasiness. It's sort of this frenetic quality. It can feel very like your kind of your body is vibrating, just like your mind is vibrating. And again, we can, we can experience this in very ordinary ways, right? So uh, during this um, retreat, you'll have a group practice meeting. And so for me, when I was again early in, in my practice, I would be in these group practice meetings with the teacher and I could just feel my mind getting anxious and worried about what should I say? What should I not say? You know, are they going to think what I said is like, you know, acceptable or no, you shouldn't be on this retreat. I can't believe you said that whatever it is, there's just, I watched as my own mind would sort of get swept up. It's like the wind was just sweeping it up. So again, that clear uh, surface of the water becomes just windswept. It's so agitated. So that's the next one of these hindrances. The fourth of these hindrances is you imagine that same bowl of water, but this time your mind is filled with a kind of sluggishness, sleepiness, dullness. This is uh, what's called sloth and torpor. And it's as though the bowl of water were overgrown with algae. And so we're literally stuck in the weeds, right? And again, just stay with the felt sense of this. It's like we feel stuck in the weeds. And if you know, we think about it from that story of the fish, it's like where the fish tangled and we're caught literally in the seaweed. And we can feel a lack of energy, of motivation, sometimes even a lack of purpose. And this can be very common. Again, just to give you my, my version of this, an example is it's very common when we come on retreat, especially the first few days. So many of you may have noticed this, right? That we live our outside lives, outside of retreat. It's constant doing. We've got all these job tasks, these family tasks. We have these tasks of just being alive, like brushing our teeth, you know, bathing our bodies. And then we come on retreat. And is it any wonder that our mind feels sluggish and dull and sleepy? I mean, we've been living in such a frenetic way. 
Um, and I often like to think of it as it's as though our mind has been moving faster than the speed limit of our body. And so that when we finally slow down and that our mind and body are kind of at the same speed, you know, our mind will go, it'll, our, our body will finally tell our mind, oh, thank you. You're finally listening to me. And what happens? We fall asleep, right? Because we're finally, we're finally listening. We're finally connected. We're actually sensing into, we're in that sparkling awareness in the clay jug. We're into that sense of this embodied awareness. And when the mind and body come together, there can often be a kind of reckoning that we have really just, it's like we're dragging around the body like it's a kind of um, like a suitcase, you know, like we're going on a trip and we just got to kind of wheeling it behind. It's like, come on, body, come on. And so this is that felt sense again of where we can feel this sort of sluggishness, dullness in the mind. We can feel this kind of lack of energy. Again, very, very common. So many of you may have noticed this and felt this. So the last uh, of these hindrances within the simile is you take the same bowl of water, but this time you imagine that uh, your mind is filled with doubt. And it's as though the bowl of water is cloudy and muddy. And it's just sort of, you can't actually see uh, clearly in the water. So if you've ever seen, I think even in the aquarium um, the other day when Diana was showing it, like there's a stingray that moves quickly. It kicks up a cloud of the seabed and it just makes the water cloudy and muddy. And so this is that experience of like, I just don't know. I don't know. And I'm confused. And, you know, maybe it's this, maybe it's that. And it can come in so many forms and flavors, you know? So it, the core sense of it is just the spinning around and around and around. And it's really important to recognize that you can't think your way out of doubt. That's the trick. That's the, that's the catch of doubt. There's no way to think your way out of doubt. You can actually sense your way out of doubt, but you can't think your way out of doubt. Your mind will just create more what ifs. You'll just spin more and more and more. And so on retreat, it'll often take, you know, take the flavor of, I can't do this. Everyone else seems to be getting this, but I'm not getting it. Or I don't really think this is a retreat for me. You know, I heard that Spirit Rock's doing this concentration retreat in a month, this teaching team, eh, they're interesting, but you know, this other retreat in a month, that's going to be the retreat. And so we start to get really curious. We notice when this felt sense of, of doubt, when the mind feels kind of cloudy or muddy, we just sense that, we feel it. And what's happening is that the trick of doubt is that it's always taking us away from here and now. So it's this idea that this moment isn't complete. It's not enough. Somehow it's lacking or something is missing. And so doubt then creeps in and it takes us in all sorts of directions. It spins out endless possibilities. So these are the, um, these five temporary visitors to the mind and the heart, and they're temporary. So what's important about this simile is you'll notice that the bowl of water those things that come into the water, the dye, the boiling of the water heating up, you know, the windswept nature, they're actually not intrinsic to the water themselves. They're just conditions that actually agitate or change the experience of the water, but the water itself remains its own clear, sparkling, just the way it was in the beginning. And that's really important to remember. So we can get so caught up in these hindrances, these five hindrances, that we, we sometimes forget. It's like, again, from that story, uh, that little bit I was reading from Alan Watts, we're just spinning, spinning, spinning after our tail. 
and we just seem to spin faster and faster. So I'll give you um, a kind of a kinesthetic way. I'm a kinesthetic learner. So I'll give you a kinesthetic way to remember these five hindrances. Okay. So I want you to take, uh, if, if you're able to follow along with me, if your body allows, then you can follow along. Otherwise, just watch. But I want you to take your hand, just place it like this. Okay. So place it out flat. This is like that clear, cool, sparkling awareness, right? It's always here. This is its nature. This is its essence. That first hindrance that I talked about, that sort of die in the water, just move your hand forward and kind of wiggle the fingers. It's like the play of these colors and lights and it's sort of chanting, right? We watch the movement. We say, oh, that's interesting. You know, what's this? Mm, I want more of that. I want this. So we get really enchanted by the experience. That's that wanting something, right? It's like we're chasing after experience. Okay, so now come back to the middle and you can, there we are, back in the middle. So the next hindrance is that sort of not wanting something. So move back and it's sort of like, you know, it's like we're bubbling back or boom, it's like the bubbles, the boiling water, right? It's just sort of agitated. So we're, we're not wanting something. We're actually withdrawing from experience, right? So here's our starting point. We withdraw and if there's all this agitation, we're agitated. We can feel that reactivity. We're not wanting something, wanting to get rid of it. So that's that, that's that hindrance of aversion of not wanting. So the next one, this restlessness or agitation, move your hand up and you can kind of make it a little bit more like this. So it's uh, concave. And then you imagine if you had a drop of water and you put it here, it just flies off, right? It just can't stay put. That's that sense of like, we just can't settle. We can't ground. That little drop of water keeps flying down all directions, right? And that's because there's a kind of restlessness. If you prefer the wind metaphor, you can kind of do this. It's like the winds or the waves are whipping around, right? We feel that sense of like not being able to settle. So that's that restlessness, that worry, that agitation. So now what's the opposite? Go down below. You guessed it. Now you make it more convex, right? And with that experience... Uh, maybe I said that backwards, concave, convex. Anyways, you know what I mean? You, you go down this way and now it's like you have that drop of water and it goes blah, 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 blah. It just sinks down to the bottom, right? And that's that sense of sort of like that sinking, that sluggishness feeling you can feel as it just sort of sinks down to the bottom, just like that. So then the last one, the last of these hindrances, you can shake that out. The last one is doubt. So put your hand back in the middle and just waver it. It's the wavering doubt, the uncertainty, the wavering felt sense of don't know, don't know, I'm not sure, what if, what if, what about this, what about this, what about that? And it's just wavering, right? And each of these, I, I offer this as a felt sense. And just to give credit, it's actually Richard Shankman, who I think initially came up with this. I'm adapting it a little bit, but I think it's so powerful because it's a kinesthetic way to remember these five visitors that come in that can trick us, that we, you know, can get us lost. We forget how to swim. So how do we, now that you know this, now that you have this kind of sense of these visitors that can come in and kind of trick us, how do we work with it, right? So it's useful to have the sort of felt sense pointers that I'm suggesting to you, but we want to know how to work with it. We want to know how to work with these visitors when they come into the mind. And the most important step is always mindfulness. So you want to, as has been said over and over and over again in the hall, you want to feel, to sense, to know when you're swimming in the waters of one of these hindrances, one of these visitors. So what do we do? We get curious. 
we ask, oh, what's going on here? Something's going on. What's my body telling me? Oh, my, I've got, some, you know, I feel something. It's kind of a pressure or constriction, or maybe it's like, you know, my shoulders are up at my ears. I might be agitated. So we start to get really curious and we're, we're sensitive. Again, it's the water in the glass. We can feel the vibrations. We know the felt sense of the experience because we're embodied. We can feel it and know it directly. And as we do this, we just watch out for that tendency to tell ourselves stories, to make up a narrative about what's going on. So it's like uh, the fish in that Alan Watts story, right? Oh, how clever of me, right? We make up stories. We tell ourselves things rather than staying with the direct experience. And so that's, that's what we always want to do. We want to actually come back to the immediacy of the experience in a balanced way. And it's important that I say that because balance is so important. The mind basically has two moves. It either gets overly excited or overly anxious. And in fact, you can take all of those hindrances that I just described and basically distill them down into those two moves, overexcitement and overanxiousness. But the key is that we need to be able to be balanced in the midst of that excitement or the anxiety. If it feels too overwhelming, if it feels like we don't know how to handle it, it feels like, oh, it's too strong, then that's our cue to relax, settle back, stop, take a break, find something that's supportive, that's nourishing, that's soothing and grounding. So we want to be with the immediacy of experience, but we want to be with it in a balanced way. So if we feel like we can't be balanced, we can't kind of uh, stay in that you know, less reactive state, then that's another teaching for us to stop, to take a break, you know, talk to somebody or find something that's soothing. And that can then allow us to, to move through it, right? And that's skillful. So I just, that's part of this being know when to, you know, when to move the mind and, and to move the attention to different experiences. Also mentioned the RAIN mnemonic, right? So we can use these little things like the, the RAIN mnemonic is just a way for us to, um, to not get so stuck, right? So if we look at those different parts, we recognize, oh, I'm feeling really sad right now. Okay, I'm feeling, I, I, I actually feel sad. And then we actually allow ourselves to feel sad rather than, well, where did this sadness come from? It must have been this thing. And gosh, I got to go fix that thing. So then I won't feel sad, right? That would be going into the story, into the fixing mode. Instead, we just actually, oh, sadness is like this. I can actually, can I be okay with being sad? And then we investigate, oh, sadness is like this in my body. Oh, it's, it feels kind of like the body's more heavy, or it feels like kind of almost like a light dew on the skin, right? And we actually know it. We know the immediacy. We know the felt sense, the texture of it itself. And then we look and say, well, what's needed? What's needed in this moment? Maybe I need a little bit more self-care. I need to nurture. I need to you know, offer some compassion. Or maybe I just need to remind myself that uh, don't take this so personally, right? I need to remember that I have this tendency to make it all about me and create this story and do all those things. And just that little reminder, oh, yeah, don't take it so personally. So rain is this very simple way to help us remember how to swim. It's like so that we can have, we can recognize the water that we're in and trust that we know how to swim in that water and that the water itself is helping to support us. It's helping for this fluidity, the sense of ease, the sense of being able to swim and navigate the water. So this is the, this is the last little kind of pointer I'll suggest is to watch out for um, this kind of quality of uh, binary thinking. 
So, you know, Diana called this a spectrum of awareness. That's really important. We don't want to forget that this is a spectrum. It's not this or it's not that. So it's, um, you know, the mind can get all hung up in, in thinking that it has to get it right or know exactly the precise move it needs to make or what do I have to do in this situation when I'm feeling agitated? I, I need to do this. This is the thing. But actually, that's just, uh, you know, uh, it's an illustration of binary thinking, this, that, one, zero, you know, and, and the world is chock full of binary thinking. And so let that be a cue for us to soften up, to say, oh, right, right. I need to remember the sense of fluidity, sense of flow actually is moving through the spectrum. We can shift and we can adjust what's needed in this moment. And I think this, um, I promised that I would uh, kind of answer some of the questions that were in the chat uh, this morning during the guided meditation. And I think this this will help a little bit. So there were a couple of questions and even in some of the uh, group practice meetings today about, okay, so if we're doing investigative awareness today, does that mean that like, I got to stay with my meditation anchor and then something else happens like a sound or a feeling. And then I go to that and then I got to come right back to my meditation anchor or can I go to, you know, feel that emotion and then a thought comes up and I can go to my thought, like what's right? What should I do? What's maybe, maybe that's not right. Or can, and the reality is that it's not so delineated, right? This is the fluid nature of it, right? So again, fluidity, flexibility, you know, so allow yourself to, uh, to play, allow yourself to just try things. And so you may find, right, that you are with your meditation anchor and then that emotion comes up and you go to that emotion and you can be present with it. You can be in a balanced way. You're noticing the felt sense experience. Oh, it's like this right now. It feels like this in my body. And then a thought comes and then you just move to the thought and you're with the thought and you say, wow, look at this. The thought is kind of here. It's popping up. It's creating all these stories in the mind and, and wow, it's changing. Wow. Look at that. I'm that would, if I really thought that, that would, I could get caught by that. And you're just with it and you're just curious and you're balanced and you're open. And then maybe poof, the thought disappears. And then you come back to your meditation anchor. So it's not this prescriptive sort of like this, that, you know, okay, you know, move, you move pawn to this square and then move uh, the bishop to this square. You know, we're not doing that. It's just much more of this fluid uh, flow of experience. And the key is really this continuity of your awareness. So at times it'll be focused and then at other times it'll become more curious and investigative and then it'll maybe shift to open. And then all of a sudden, oof, there's a moment of just effortless natural awareness and it moves in these different directions. And so I just um, suggest that because for me, so many times I would get caught in like, oh, you know, it's this or it's that, or like I'd uh, heaven forbid, I have the thought, I got it. Anytime you think you got it, you don't got it. That's how that works. So let me just, I'll save you a lot of trouble. You can ask me how I know. If you think you got it, you don't got it. Because it's never that. It's always changing. It's always flowing. So this is the key, right? At some moment, we have this recognition. We have this moment of aha. Something's understood and we realize, oh, I'm caught. I'm thinking about this in a way that's constricted. Either I'm thinking about it and the thought itself is constricting me, or I'm actually feeding a kind of um, emotional story that I tell myself all the time and that that's actually limiting, it's constricting, it's not helping me, it's not useful in this moment. 
So I'll turn back now to the second part of uh, the story, the fish who found the sea. So I'll give you, I'll give you the, um, not the, not the ending. I don't want to spoil the story for you, but I'll give you just the next part of the story and, and see if you can hear this moment of recognition, right? And, and see if you can also hear in this, the kind of stubbornness. It's like, we're really attached to our patterns. We're really attached to our habits, right? I mean, we can be quite stubborn. It's like, don't tell me what I know. I don't know. No, no, no. I know what I know. Don't tell me. So here's the story. So here was this silly fish who thought they swam all by themselves who had gotten themselves into a panic and were behaving as no fish should behave. Therefore, the great sea called out to the unhappy fish and asked them, what do you think you're doing? To which the fish replied, I'm trying to catch hold of my tail and save myself from falling. You've been doing that for a long time, observed the great sea, and you're no nearer to catching it than you were when you started. So why haven't you fallen yet? Don't bother me, retorted the fish. Can't you see I'm busy? See, there's the stubbornness. That's just what I can see, the great sea went on patiently. But apparently you can't. You haven't caught your tail. You haven't fallen into the abyss. And yet you're still busy. How come? Oh, don't be stupid, snapped the fish. Of course I haven't fallen down because I'm, goodness, because I'm swimming. You may well say goodness, said the great sea. For how does it happen that you have stayed afloat and been able to swim during all this absurd performance? This was too much for the fish. They had stopped their chase and looked around to see who was talking to them. There was no one to be seen, and it was strange. But although they weren't doing anything themselves, they were still floating in the water. Though it seemed to them as if they were suspended in empty space by some invisible force. There now continued the great sea. You thought you were doing it all by yourself and you never knew that I hold you up all the time. See, isn't that so touching? I mean, it's so immediate, right? It's just so, that's, these are these heart qualities. The great sea, of course, is it's this deeper intuition. It's this deeper wisdom that we have. It's this deep compassion, this kindness, right? The great sea doesn't get angry and shout at the fish and start, you know, berating the fish. The great sea says, there now right? This quality of, yes, I can see you've been doing that for a long time. How has it been going, right? There's this real kind of trying to relate and to, you feel the friction of it, right? And, and it's, it's tender because even as I, I share that, right, we have those moments where we feel the ouch of it. We feel the sting and we go, ooh, yeah, that's painful. But the, it's in that moment of ouch, it's from, as one of my other colleagues um, and dear friends, uh, Dana De Palma likes to say, we go from ow to wow. We feel the ow, and then all of a sudden we notice there's that sort of alchemy that transforms it into, wow, how did I, wow, I, that was painful, but I don't have to be defined by that. It may, you know, affect my, my situation. It's definitely a characteristic of what's happening, but it doesn't need to define me. It doesn't need to define my experience. And so this is the shift that we start to experience, particularly with this investigative awareness. We see the nature of experience versus getting caught by any particular story or idea or narrative about what we think is happening or what we think should happen or what we hope will happen or what we don't want to happen. And so this is what I was pointing at today in the morning instructions when I was um, just suggesting that we can start to see the nature of experience. 
It's as though the process becomes more important than the content. And so I reference the sort of three marks of experience, right? This anicca, dukkha, anatta. So this thing, the anicca, things are constantly changing and shifting. Dukkha is this the sort of unsatisfactoriness or the bumpy road, if you will. Um, and it's that we tend to react to it. We tend to react to life because of these agendas, these ideas, and we want it to be satisfactory, but we react when it's other than that. And then the last one, anatta, is the sense of, you know, often translated as not self. I think that that can be quite tricky. So I like to think of it as it's just this recognition that we don't have complete control. The sense of like, oh, yeah, why would I think, again, to quote my colleague Dana, uh, why would I think sweet ego, you know, sweetie, why would you think that you could, you got all the power in the world? You don't. It's actually, there's a freedom in being able to recognize that we can only influence at the margins. And so this is really, really key. The shift in understanding, we start to, the content becomes less important and we actually rest much more in the process. We get very curious about what's happening here. What's the nature of this? Things appear, they change, they exist, and then they disappear. And that's all part of what it means to come back into how it is. We actually are swimming. We're in the great ocean. We're in the great sea. And we trust that the great sea, it's there. It's holding us. It's offering support. And that's that recognition that our awareness is big enough to meet it all. It's, we may not totally trust it. We may not totally say, you know, I don't know if I believe that. He's telling me that, my, that awareness is big enough to meet any experience. I don't know if I buy that. You don't have to check it out yourself. But in my own experience, it's those moments when I don't trust that awareness is big enough to hold it all. And that's when I get caught. That's when I start to get these hindrances. These visitors come in. They trick me, right? The thoughts, the emotions. I get caught in the seaweed. I forget how to swim. And so I'll bring in another voice here, just another pointer. This comes from Upasaka Ki, who is uh, considered one of the most renowned and revered uh, women Dharma teachers in Thailand. And this is from Upasaka Ki's book, An Unentangled Knowing. So again, see if you can hear this, this shift in understanding, right? This recognition of, oh, I'm not so caught in the, the content. It's not like I'm, I'm so caught up in the particular thought or the particular emotion or the particular story or belief that I have. I start to shift back and just notice the nature of how it really is. So here's the quote. When you keep looking, keep knowing at all times, you'll come to see that there are no big issues going on. There's just the issue of arising, persisting, and disappearing. You don't have to label anything as good or bad. If you simply look in this way, it's no great weight on the heart. But if you go dragging in issues of good and bad and self and all that, then suffering starts in a big way. The defilements, the hindrances start in a big way, and they weigh on the heart, making it troubled and upset. So you have to stop and look, stop and investigate really deep down inside. It's like water covered with duckweed. Only when we take our hand to part the duckweed and take a look and see the water beneath that it's crystal clear. So that sense of relief, right? That's not a problem. The problem is when we get entangled, when we get 
caught and we don't quite know what to do. And of course, there are times like this, right? I've had so many times in my practice where I needed to, I needed to talk to somebody, I needed to talk to a teacher, I needed to have some new perspective, something reflected back to me or something I wasn't seeing clearly because I was so caught in the hindrance. But the underlying um, kind of nature of it all is, again, it's that clear, crystal clear, sparkling awareness, right? And it's your birthright. It is part of your very being. Every, every human being's birthright is this crystal clear, sparkling awareness. And so we can just take this big sigh of relief. Can I let the water hold me? Can I float in the water? Can I trust that awareness is big enough to hold it all, to meet any experience? And again, we don't have to make this in a big thing. We can just dip our toe in, try it out with a small thing in your practice. Oh, there's a little bit of restlessness and worry. What's it like to just feel the restlessness and a worry with your awareness and not react out of the restlessness and worry? And then, of course, if it feels like, oh, it's too much, I don't want to do that, we take a break. That's skillful. That's what's needed in that moment. So we're constantly checking in. What's needed? What now? So this is the last piece. Again, we're just swimming in the water, right? It's sort of we're swimming and providing all these different ways in. It's like we're just fellow travelers in the water. So let me go all the way back to David Foster Wallace, who I began with. And this is how um, David Foster Wallace ends. None of this stuff is really about morality or religion or dogma or big fancy questions of life after death. The capital T truth is about life before death. It's about the real value of a real education, which has almost nothing to do with knowledge and everything to do with simple awareness. Awareness of what is so real and essential, so hidden in plain sight all around us, all the time that we have to keep reminding ourselves over and over, this is water. This is water. So thank you for channeling your inner fish and swimming with me. Um, And I hope that, you know, what I shared was useful. I hope that something I offered was. And if, you know, you're like, I don't know, that, that didn't quite, I'm not sure about that. Just let it go. You can leave it here with me. And really, I hope that Um, you have this sense. You're all swimming, right? You all know how to do this. And so that's my kind of encouragement. That's sort of like my celebration of of what you know. And I'm hearing it as I hear in the the group uh, practice meetings and, you know, as you're sharing in the hall about your experience or even in the chat, you know how to swim. It's just a matter of trusting that you know how to swim and that the water is there to hold you. It's about fluidity. It's about this sense of, you know, feeling and moving through. And when we get stuck, we find other fish to swim with for a while. Sometimes we need to be in a pod. So that's skillful too. So let's just take a couple of moments. Let the words kind of go. And let yourself feel your own clear, sparkling awareness. What's here now? Again, quote Kabir, in this clay jug, all the oceans, millions of stars, 
the music from the strings that no one touches. It's all here, right inside this clay jug. This embodied awareness. We just have to remember, this is water. So thank you for your kind attention. And um, just a little um, reminder so that, you know, we're kind of in the heart of the retreat. We're coming to the end of day two. And so really check in, right? Again, that's the invitation. What's needed now as you feel into the felt sense of your experience, as you really see what's here. Maybe you need to rest, so take take a rest. You know, really practice that compassion, that self care, that kindness, and really nourish yourself and and nurture yourself. And so maybe rest or you know do something that feels pleasant and restoring. Maybe you feel really inspired. Maybe something you know tonight or in the loving kindness practice that Diana did, or you know the morning instructions or something from the talk, something maybe is really inspiring you and you feel that sort of inspiration to, to just continue practice. And so then continue practice. And so this is part of really swimming and navigating. And again, I think there were some things that were posted uh, on, the, on the website for suggestions. So you can check there for sort of what to do in the evenings. And then uh, when we come back tomorrow, we'll we'll continue our swimming together. So have a wonderful evening or morning or afternoon. <laughs>